Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The NHL expansion draft is this week, and while teams like the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Golden Knights are the favorites, the Seattle Kraken have 33 to 1 odds on being the next Stanley Cup champions. So you can head on over to Bet Online right now and place a bet on Seattle or any other team to be the NHL's next champion. But whether it's the NHL, the NBA, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we'll be talking about Robert Morris Hockey, the Portland Winterhawks, and some quick draft picks. But first, just the big news of the hockey world right now is earlier this morning, the two of us got to see the protected list for all 31 teams ahead of the expansion draft. Before we could even talk about that, though, we had a flurry of trades this past weekend, including a lot of young, underdeveloped players that were moved for teams to try and receive compensation instead of losing them in the expansion draft. Those include some guys like Ryan Graves, Cody Glass, Nolan Patrick, Aiden Hill, and Brett Howden. But this morning, we got to look at the protection lists, and a lot of stars and promising young players are available for the taking. Just to name a few big-name players, we've got Vladimir Tarasenko, Carey Price, Ryan Johansson, Mark Giordano, Yanni Gord, Jonathan Druin, Jason Zucker, Adam Henrique, Ben Bishop, P.K. Subban, Jordan Eberle, and Jakub Voracek, all available for the Seattle Kraken to take. So, Jess, a lot of big names on that list, but let's not forget a lot of prospects removed when Vegas was in the hot seat. They got guys like Shea Theodore and Alex Tuck, who has become a huge part of their team so far in their existence. So, Jess, who are some stars that could be on the move, and are there any young guys you think we should keep our eye on? I look at this list, and pretty much one of the things that stood out is if you are a free agent on this list, they're betting that uh, you're not going to sign with Seattle. I don't think that's a good strategy to look at if you're a team. As much as we'd like to see it, I can't see a Seattle going after a P.K. Subban, whose game is clearly on the decline. But at the same time, I look and say, you know, who the Islanders exposed, and pretty much there's a lot of good talent among the Islander list. Like I would take Thomas Hickey, a nice young up-and-coming defenseman. But the whole list as it is, you can build a decent team off of here as long as you're getting guys, you know, who will buy into being part of an expansion draft. Well, if I'm Seattle personally, I have to take a big name goalie. I know that this might be an expensive move, especially with his cap hit and a huge signing bonus. But the fact that Carey Price is out there for the taking, I think he showed us that he's still an elite goalie. And if you don't want him, I'd go some combination of Ben Bishop, Jonathan Quick, Braden Holpe. There are some reliable vets you can put in net and find yourself competing in a playoff spot. I've seen a lot of reports say that Chris Dredger might be a goalie of choice. They might take him out of Florida and hope to sign him to a nice contract. But I don't think that's a good idea, especially when you've got nice goalies that you can take like Vitek Vanacek or Capo Kakinen out of Minnesota. 
Go to Florida, take a Frank Vetrano or a Noel Chari or a Marcus Nodavara. Don't waste your pick on that, but looking at skaters, I think they'd be silly if they passed up on Tarasenko. I think he could be an elite winger for them if he stays healthy. And guys like Nito Niederreiter, Jason Zucker, Jakob Voracek, I think those guys could be good too, but just a ton of nice young players are out there for Seattle to take. I mean, I just noticed off my first glance at the lists, I saw Kristen Fisher out of Arizona, JT Comfer out of Colorado. I already mentioned Capo Kakunin and Vitek Vanacek. Then you've got guys like Kiefer Bellows from the Islanders and then Sammy Blay and Vitz Dunn out of St. Louis. So I don't know who Seattle's going to take, but there are some bad contracts out there. I'm sure they're going to try and sweeten the pot for Seattle to take a couple of those. So while they're looking at that and maybe while they're looking at some other teams, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Seattle might be able to put together a playoff team this year, Jess. Oh, I don't think so. I think that's quite possibly. Well, let's get back to, you know, Carey Price. If Seattle is serious about winning right now, then they'd be foolish to not take Carey Price, who, like you said, still shows that he's got something in the tank. Price buys you time to develop a younger goalie. It gives you instant credibility. And let's face it, the Seattle fans have been chomping at the bit, waiting for this team to take to the ice. So I don't think that Seattle under Ron Francis is going to go, well, we're going to go young and it's going to take us a couple of years. I think they're going to at least want to test the playoff waters. So I think Seattle's going to use a couple of these picks on some name guys just to pretty much satisfy, you know, their fan base. And remember, they have to select 30 players, but only 23 will make the roster. So, you know, seven guys, they're not going to make it. But the 23 they pick, that could be a game changer. And I do think, especially out West, if you copy the Vegas blueprint, you will make the playoffs. Seattle has a lot of great players to pick from. I can't wait to see what the 32nd NHL team looks like. But speaking of hockey teams trying to come up and start their season anew, Jess, we got to talk about Robert Morris University. They just partnered with the Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation to start raising funds in an effort to save both its men's and women's hockey programs. The Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation is an organization dedicated to reviving the Colonials' hockey programs and is comprised of RMU alumni and community members with former USA Olympian and RMU alum Brianne McLaughlin serving as its head of board of directors. Their starting goal is to raise $7 million over the next five years, with the primary objective being to raise enough funds by July 31st to bring the teams back for the coming 2021-22 season. So, Jess, another fundraising effort to bring a dying college hockey team back. Do you think Robert Morris can reach their goal, and do you think we'll see Colonial Hockey soon? Well, see, what bothers me more than anything else is we are talking at a program that was actually rebuilding, and they were on the rise. Point number two, I would like to see Robert Morris open their books because they're claiming that they did this to position themselves to be a stronger school, but they kept football, which is the most expensive sport to run. I don't buy that Robert Morris couldn't afford to do this. I think it's just another money grab by them. I hope the team makes it for the sake of the players for both men and women, but I, I look at the Robert Morris administration and I don't trust them. I don't trust them to make this into a money grab. Jez, I think we're kind of on the same wavelength here because do I think Robert Morris can reach their fundraising goal? I do. Do I think we'll see Colonials hockey again? Probably not. 
You know, I say this and I expect what we saw with Alabama Huntsville to repeat itself. They get the money they need, but still don't bring the team back. And I don't want to accuse the people at Robert Morris of lying or being untruthful, but I'm not so sure they really want their hockey program back because we go back to the statement they released when the news broke that they were cutting hockey. They said it was a part of a plan to align our athletic offerings more closely with other similar nationally ranked universities of our size. That's a direct quote, Jess. That sounds, to me, like it's not just a money issue, it's an optic issue. So, hockey was the only sport they cut from Robert Morris to make this alignment with other schools like them across the nation. And while hockey is an expensive sport to maintain, I can't help but think money's not the only factor here. And then we had Alabama Huntsville last year. They met their fundraising goal on Kickstarter, and when they fought to save the program, we haven't heard any plans to bring back Charger hockey in the past year, Jess, so... Listen, best of luck to the Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation. I hope we get to see Colonials hockey again, but my gut tells me we might not be so lucky. I don't think we'll see them. I think that even if they make their goal, there'll be another excuse. The difference between Robert Morris and Alabama Huntsville is that Morris was already established. They were in a league. So it wasn't like they didn't have an established program. To me, it's going back to, I want to see Robert Morris open up their books, show how this supposedly quote unquote aligns with their philosophy. Because quite frankly, I don't see a philosophy anywhere. I just see a dislike of hockey. When you see other schools that are saying, hey, we want to start a hockey program. How do you respond when you go, oh, well, uh, it doesn't align with our philosophy. And there's two other schools out there that are saying, hey, we can't wait to start hockey. So what's wrong? Yeah, it's a great point, Jez. We brought it up when the news broke of Augustana University. So we've got them coming in in two years. St. Thomas is coming in now. RMU doesn't really have an excuse now. If money really is the problem at the end of the day, I think we're going to get it. I think that we're going to have a couple big donors come in to help save RMU hockey. I don't think money's going to be the issue, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But let's move on because our next story is that the Portland Winterhawks of the WHL have changed their logo for the first time in 45 years. The Winterhawks have used a logo that is identical to that of the Chicago Blackhawks with a different color palette since 1976. And last week, they unveiled their new logo. It's a hawk with an outline of Mount Hood from the Portland region at the base. There is no word yet on if a new set of jerseys will be immediately implemented with the new logo. But Jess, this is something you wanted to bring up because I know you're a big fan of the Winterhawks. The team has been through a lot recently. They filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy last year. New owners this year, they were able to come back and stay competitive after leaving the U.S. division first place when the pandemic hit. A whole lot has happened in Portland. So is this a nice little bow on top for you? Let's start with the beginning. That Winterhawks logo, the old logo, that actually was originally their logo going back to like the 1917s. Riddle me this. What's the name of the city that was the first one in the United States to play for the Stanley Cup? If you picked Portland, that was your answer because, yes, the Portland Rosebuds back in 1917 became the first U.S. city to play for the Stanley Cup. Portland has a long and very proud history from the Rosebuds to the Buckaroos to the Winterhawks. To me, Portland is my home base. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is, one, they changed what would be a controversial logo the Native American, 
without any pressure. And two, if I'm a Winterhawks fan, I'm really happy that I have a new ownership that's saying, hey, look, we're going to give you this brand new identity. It's clean. But yet at the same time, it still references the past because the Winterhawks mascot is Tomahawk. One of the big things is Portland doesn't play hockey. They play hockey. It's showing that the new ownership is not into this just for the money. They're into this because they want to invest in this team and build a winning team. They kept Mike Johnson as coach and general manager. They kept Doug Piper as president of the team. They didn't make a lot of wholesale changes. Whereas in the WHL, you know, the Western Conference, pretty much everybody changed the GM this year. But the Winterhawks didn't. It's a great sign for if you're a Portland Winterhawks fan. Uh, I think that the logo itself is going to sell out. I'm waiting to be able to buy my own hat and jersey. So <laughs> yeah, I was actually unfamiliar with how the Portland Winterhawks got their start with the modified Blackhawk logo. But with the new logo, a lot of the history has risen up through articles and through videos. Apparently, when the Winterhawks started, they were pressed for jerseys, and the owners from both Chicago and Portland knew each other. The Blackhawks donated some old jerseys for Portland to use, and then they just never changed it. I think this is a really cool logo for them to have. I'm really happy that it looks nice and modern. It's a step in the right direction, especially with teams like the Washington football team and the Cleveland Indians announced that they're going to rebrand. Like you said, Jess, no pressure. This is completely Portland trying to move into a new era with new ownership. They want to have a new face. They want to have a new feel. I really like this, and especially since the only connection that the Winterhawks had to the indigenous people were some jerseys that they pawned off Chicago. So this is great for the Winterhawks. I'm really happy that the new ownership feels good about this move. It feels like they want something new, and it looks like a good change for the organization as a whole. Portland has been sponsored by some of the native tribes in the area. Uh, for example, the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde has been a Winterhawks sponsor for quite some time. You've got so many tribes, especially here in the Northwest, that could have objected. They didn't object that the Winterhawks' new ownership went out. And you look at the history of that New Jersey, and you can't help but love the fact that they got Mount Hood, which is a big thing here in the Northwest. I mean, I look out my window, I see Mount Hood. I mean, everybody else talks about Mount St. Helens. For people who live out here, Mount Hood is the big mountain. And they, they got that in there. They snuck in the PW for the history. And Hawk, you know, hockey. I wonder if they're going to change Tomahawk's name. They didn't say anything about that. But still, the mascot, who's a real popular figure. And the fact that they did this on their own says a lot about them. You know, it's nice, clean, fresh jersey. It's popular with the fans. Even the crusty old timers aren't complaining. So they did things right here. Stick tap to the Winterhawk for doing something right. And Jess, finally, this is our last episode before the NHL draft. It's like the equivalent of our Super Bowl. So I've got some lightning round questions for the two of us to answer before we watch everything unfold next weekend. Are you ready? Go for it. All right, let's start off. Just give me the team that you think will have the best draft and give me the team who you think will have the worst draft. Uh, best draft? I think if you're looking at it from a franchise standpoint, 
I think Seattle's positioned in the right spot, number two. They're going to get whoever they want. Buffalo is such a mess that it doesn't matter who they pick with number one. It's how they use their other picks. I think teams like Los Angeles Kings, they need a little bit more on the offensive end. I think they could slide in there and have a good draft. The teams that are needing playmaking centers are going to struggle. If you look at most of the teams, that's pretty much the entire NHL. They're going to say, I need either a power left wing or a playmaking center. You don't see anybody that says, uh, I need a goalie, not in the first round. That's weird because goaltending is the biggest problem in the NHL. I'm not seeing anybody that says, I need a goalie. I think that this draft is going to be defined by the first round. And as a team with three first-round picks, one of which is at number five, I think Columbus takes advantage of their positioning. And lucky for them, there's a lot of great Europeans this year, so Yarmo Kekalainen can't surprise us too much like he did last year. But as for a team in trouble, if you don't have a first-round pick, in my opinion, you might be in tough shape. But not only that, Pittsburgh is missing their third-round pick from acquiring Patrick Marlowe, their fourth-round pick from the Galchenyuk trade, and their sixth-round pick, which they used when they got the rights to John Marino. So they're left with their second pick, their fifth pick, and three seventh rounders. And in a draft that I don't think is that deep, even if they package some players and picks they move up, I think Pittsburgh is in some real hot water right now. Well, Pittsburgh's been in hot water way before the draft. I mean, (laughs) Crosby's not getting any younger, neither is Malikin. I think that they've hitched their wagon to these guys for so long that I don't think they have an idea what kind of direction to go should one or the other decide to hang up their skates. I think they're going to try to squeeze another two to three years out of those two. But, you know, if that's the case, I would be sitting here at the draft going, ooh, we need to talk about who we're going to get to replace these guys. And they're not. Next up, Jess, Russia surprised us a lot last year with how well they were represented at last year's draft. Give me a country that you think will be represented really well in this year's draft. Oh, no question. The United States. The United States has a chance to possibly have the first three picks in the draft. That's never happened before for the United States program. But Owen Power, Luke Hughes, Matthew Bernier's, Kent Johnson. I mean, if those guys are still there after the fifth or sixth pick, something's wrong. Well, aside from Canada, who's always going to do great, I think Europe's going to have a huge year this year. Most and foremost, I think we're going to see a huge Swedish presence, especially in the first round. We're going to get Simone Edvinson, Jesper Wallstedt, William Eklund, Fabian Lysel. Down the line, we could see Simone Robertson, Oscar Olison, Isaac Rosen, Anton Olsen. And then on top of that, you know, we talked about the Russians from last year. There's still plenty of Russians this year. I mean, we're not going to have Igor Chinikov and Shakir Mukhamadelin just popping out of nowhere, but we will probably see Danil Cheka, Fedor Svechkov, Nikita Chipperkov. There should be a lot of great Russians, and as for USA, last year was such a down year that I think this year is definitely going to be an upgrade. But thinking back to a draft kind of like 2019 where we saw Spencer Knight and Jack Hughes and all of those guys go in the first round, I'm not sure we'll see something of that spectacle, but definitely an up year for USA. And speaking of USA... Jess, do you think the Michigan Wolverines make history and have three players go in the top 10 this year? Yes, they definitely do. Matter of fact, again, you know, like I said, they could possibly even have top three players go. I mean, Empower, Bernier's, and Johnson. It's really hard for me if I'm sitting in there 
It's the first five picks at the NHL entry draft and say, geez, how do I let these guys go? I mean, definitely power is my number one pick. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at Bernier's and Johnson and you've got two really solid centers that I could see just step right into an NHL lineup. I agree with you. I think they make history as well. Owen Power should be a lock at number one. I think Matty Berniers should be very soon after. And Kent Johnson's my only worry, but I still think he's a top 10 player. My prediction is he'll go somewhere in the 7-9 to nine range, but Michigan ends up making history. If Jess, let's keep moving on. Jess, name me one player towards the middle or the end of the draft you think could be a diamond in the rough. Man, there's so many that you can do like that. There's a kid that plays defense, Luke Middlestat. Yes, he's related to the other middle stat. He's heading to college. He's an offensive-minded blue liner. He's got some really good skating and puck-moving uh, ability. He's only 5'11". He needs a little work, like most players his age. That's one kid to keep an eye on. If you go deeper and deeper, like the third or fourth round, Eric Allaire of Moose Jaw, he's a kid that's starting to come together. He's 6'1", 198. He's a physical left wing. And for the teams looking for somebody who's going to come in and be a little bit of a grinder or an attacking presence at the center of the rink, this is a kid to keep an eye on. There's a young goalie from Seattle who I see a lot of, uh, Thomas Millick. He's a six-foot goalie. Don't look at his numbers. Look at his play. He's a good, sound, fundamental goalie to keep an eye on. And, you know, Ethan Burroughs, who you didn't see a lot of, was going to play for the Owen Sound attack. He might sneak in there, too. There's a couple guys I'm pretty high on in the middle of the draft, but one of Luke Middlestad's teammates, actually, Jess, I am full steam ahead on Liam Gilmartin. He's the winger out of the NTDP. I think he plays a complete game because even though he's not on the score sheet as much as some of his teammates, he can lay some huge hits he gets physical. He can make some excellent passes. I love his net front presence. And if you give this guy a few years, I think he's going to be a very big deal at the NHL level. I think he can really round out his game and make a huge splash with the NHL team. But Jess, before we go, we don't have time for a full mock draft. But what I want from you is your first five picks. That's Buffalo, Seattle, Anaheim, New Jersey, and Columbus. Who are the first five players in order to come off the board? Owen Power. Owen Power is a no-brainer. Uh, Luke Hughes for Seattle, he, he, building for defense. Uh, Brant Clark goes to Anaheim. Uh, Matthew Barnier goes to New Jersey. And Dylan Gunter goes to Columbus. And I want to toss in Kent Johnson, the Michigan boy, goes to Detroit. Those are some nice picks, Jess, and I'm right there behind you with Owen Power. Even with the talk of him going to college, I think he's got to be the best available player, and Buffalo needs the best available player, so he's my number one. Seattle, I think they use number two on Matty Beneers. I know you're super high on Dylan Gunther and Luke Hughes, but I think he's the next best available player, and when you're starting a franchise from literally nothing, I think you've got to take the best player you can, so he's my number two. At number three, I've got Anaheim taking Luke Hughes. Anaheim have a ton of great young forwards in their organization, and they develop defensemen better than most teams in the NHL. In years past, they've taken a lot of Americans and Swedes, so I was between Luke Hughes and Simone Edvidsson here, but I think Luke Hughes just has a little bit of an edge, so I've got him going to Anaheim. But speaking of Simone Edvinson, he's my pick for New Jersey. New Jersey needs a lot. 
they need a lot of different things going on there, and I think they need D more than anything, especially since they're probably going to lose someone in the expansion draft, whether that be Will Butcher or getting rid of P.K. Subban's contract. Simone Evanson is the next best defenseman in this draft, so I think they'll take him. And at 5 Jess, I've got your guy. I've got Dylan Gunther. Columbus has been gutted. They tried to go all in when they had Panarin, Duchesne, Bobrovsky. They're paying for it now. But if you can have a bona fide goal scorer like Dylan Gunther on your team, I think you take it if it falls in your lap. So my five are Power at one, Baneers at two, Hughes at three, Edvidson at four, and Gunther at five. Well, see, the reason why I don't go defense for New Jersey is they just picked up Ryan Graves. They've got four guys that are 26 and Ty Smith, who's 21. So if they lose Subban, they already have somebody to replace him. I mean, yeah, Evanson, he's a great defenseman, but I just think that New Jersey, they need to go offense at this point because they don't have much in terms of firepower to help Hughes, their forward. So I think they go offense first. So that's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Prospect Park for Jess, at Local Grounder for myself. If you like this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Let's go enjoy the draft. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you after the draft. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.